Thank you so much, Pastor Sharon, worship team, choir, band. Wow, praise God. Well, welcome to the second week of our sermon series called We Are. If you would, say that with me. We are. Are. Some of you guys are really fast. Very good. We are. My name is Andrew. If you're new with us today, I am the lead pastor uh, here at First Church, and we thank you for sharing in life together with us. Uh, we are in the second week of a sermon series where we are exploring the mission and the vision and the values of what God has called our church to become in these coming years. Uh, last week, we unveiled our mission. We unveiled our core values. We'll look at them again in just a minute. But maybe you say to yourself, why is that so important? Why do we need to worry about mission? Why do we need to worry about vision? Why do we need to worry about values as a church? And the reason is simple. If you're taking notes, it's our key verse for the series, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. The author says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you would say that with me, where there is no vision the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And the issue for so many churches is this. It's our key thought. If you're taking notes, sharing on social media, I encourage you to write this down. Most churches know what they do, but very few churches actually know who they are. Most churches know what they do. Say, well, we've got a great children's program, or we have a great student ministry, or we have a great food pantry, or as I can testify this week, we have a great primetime program, right? Great food, great fellowship, great singing, wonderful time together. And all of those things are very well and good, but they don't actually define who we are. So last week, what we talked about is our mission statement for the coming years of our church. And if you would, say it with me as it comes up on the screen, this is why we exist. This is who we are. Repeat it with me. We exist to live out God's story in our community. Say it again. We exist to live out God's story in our community. One more time. Why? Because repetition is the best form of memorization, right? One more time. We exist to live out God's story in our community. How are we going to do it? through our eight core values, as they come up on the screen, if you would, say them with me. First, we are a church that values intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. We pursue God's heart. Next week, we're going to look at our second value. We are a church that values relational evangelism. Say it with me. Relational evangelism. We connect the disconnected. Week three, we're going to look at our value, what God has called us to be, of life-on-life life discipleship. If you would, say it with me. Life-on-life life discipleship. We believe that disciples produce disciples. It's not just something that we do. It's actually who we are. In week four, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at the value of intentional apprenticeship. If you would, say it with me. Intentional apprenticeship. Just like disciples produce disciples, we also believe that leaders develop leaders. It's a part of who we are. In week five, this is, as you probably know from uh, earlier today, this is one of my favorites. We are a church that values radical generosity. You guys weren't as excited about that one. Let's say it again. Radical generosity, right? We hold nothing back. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for me. So I will give until it changes my life for him. We are a church that values radical generosity. Then in week six, we are a church, this might be one of my favorites, we are a church that values profound humility. Say it again, profound humility. We choose purpose over preference every time. Our preferences serve God's purpose of redeeming the world to himself. In week seven, we are a church that values life together. Life together. We believe that we are created for community. Nobody does life alone. We do life together. And finally, week eight, by far my favorite. We save it for last. We are a church that believes in missional living. Missional living. What happens here doesn't stay here. 
We are the church, and we exist for the world. That's who we are. That's who God has called us to become. And so our prayer is that over these coming weeks and then into the next few years, that when your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers ask you, hey, tell me about your church, what are you guys all about, that you'll be able to say, this is who we are. This week, we're going to begin with our first uh, core value, which is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. You know, uh, the order of these values is not accidental. Uh, we didn't put them in a can and then pull them out one by one to see how we were uh, going to go about it. Uh, we put intimacy with God first because we believe intimacy with God is primary above everything else. In fact, what we believe at First Church is that the biggest danger of getting caught up in conversations about strategy and vision is that sometimes we can forget about relationship. Sometimes we get so focused on our goals that we forget about our intimacy. It's a lot like a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were having a conversation. We just put our three-year-old son, Lucas, down to bed, and we had a little bit of extra time in the evening. And so she looked at me and she said, honey, let's sit down and have some meaningful conversation. Um, uh, ladies, you just need to know that the, the two words, meaningful conversation, strike deep fear in the heart of every man, right? Meaningful con- We don't even know what it means, right? My, my wife speaks three languages, and that was like a fourth. I was like, what, what, is, what, is, what is this going to be? What is meaningful conversation? So we sat down in the living room, and she said, honey, tell me how you're doing. Uh, well, that's simple enough. So I began to outline for her the progress that I was making towards my life goals, uh, personally, professionally, financially, spiritually, and physically. Uh, just walked right through. I'm, I'm, I'm here on this goal and going this way. And then when I was done with that, I actually began to get out all of my strategies. I said, you know what? What I believe is that we can actually leverage our opportunities right now to, to develop a little bit more momentum towards accomplishing our goals even more quickly than I thought that we could. And, and I'm, I'm reading through the list, and I'm on item three, point C, and I see her eyes glaze over. And finally, she holds up her hands, and she says, Andrew, all due respect, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care at all. She said, I don't care about your goals. I don't care about your strategies. She says, what I want is I want to know how you are doing. I want to know how you feel. I want to know what's going on in your heart. And at First Church, what we believe is that intimacy with God is the cornerstone of everything that we do. In fact, if you're taking notes, we say it like this. Inspiration can never be separated from intimacy. Inspiration can never be separated from intimacy. Our goals, our strategies, our mission, our purpose can never be separated from an intimate relationship with our God and Father. It's intimacy with God. That's why we say our core value like this. We say intimacy with God is pursuing God's heart because we believe that our communion with God will determine the impact of our lives. Our communion with God will determine the impact of our lives. And I want you to take that down maybe even just a step further and take it personally. Your communion with God will determine the impact of your lives as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, in your relationships, at school, at work, in your community. Your relationship with God will determine the impact of your life. Your intimacy with Jesus will determine the legacy that you leave behind. Intimacy with God. We pursue God's heart. It's why I've chosen um, Isaiah chapter 6 as our passage for today. If you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, I encourage you to turn there uh, with me. In Isaiah chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of of context. Uh, Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says this. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the year that King Uzziah died, why is this so important? I think it's important to note this, and I think it's important that Isaiah notes this, because Uzziah was actually a pretty significant figure in the life of his nation. He was actually one of the most beloved kings of the nation of God's people. He was actually the longest serving king in the history of the nation. He was a man after God's own heart. In fact, what tradition tells us is that Isaiah and Uzziah actually would have been probably pretty close. They may actually have been related. And so when King Uzziah died, both Isaiah and the community around him would have felt the impact of that grief. I don't think we have to look too far this morning, do we, to see the parallels to our own church experience. In the year that our pastor, in the year that our friend, in the year that our leader, Pastor Ed Heck, passed away, a a man after God's own heart, the longest serving pastor in the history of this church, a mentor, a friend, my pastor, was taken from us in a community, a pastor left in grief. I, I think there's something powerful about this reality that Isaiah notes here that it's in the year that King Uzziah died that he saw also the Lord. I don't think it's any accident, First Church, that the Lord showed up in Isaiah's presence in the time of his greatest loss. And I wonder, First Church, if maybe it's not any accident that God also desires to show up again in this place, in a time of our grief, in a time of our loss, in the time where we feel like over this past year our entire foundation has been shaken and taken from us. I wonder if God might also want to do just what he's done with Isaiah, is that he might also want to show up in an incredible way and say, First Church, I am still here. First Church, I am still with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Scripture says his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he says, I am with you always. I wonder, First Church, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year to this day of the celebration of life service of our pastor, Ed Heck, if we might also see the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, that the train of his robe, that the entire presence of Jesus would fill this place in such an incredible way. Because you know what? I don't think there'd be anything more meaningful to the legacy of our pastor than if his church had an intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. That's what God wants. That's what the Holy Spirit desires, intimacy with him. Why is it that intimate encounters with Jesus are so valuable? Why is it that intimacy with Jesus is so meaningful? I I think we see really clearly three ways in this passage. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, what we find in Isaiah's experience with God is that intimacy with God changes us. Intimacy with God changes us. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 4, look what happens. God has shown up. There are angels flying all over the temple. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's kind of a crazy experience. And then look what happens in verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold, say it with me, what did they do? They shook and the temple was what? was filled with smoke. The doorposts and the thresholds of the entire temple are shaking, and the place is filled with smoke. And here's the principle, First Church. When God shows up in our life, everything changes. When God shows up in our experience, when God shows up in our midst, what we thought we were going to do, the plans that we thought we had, the purposes and the mission and the values that we had for ourselves, everything changes when once we have an intimate glimpse 
of the Holy Spirit, an intimate encounter with him. Everything changes. It's a radical transformation. I, I was reminded uh, standing in the back during the baby dedication uh, this morning uh, that my life in about three months is about to change radically, right? I was looking at uh, Betsy and I was just thinking about the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing or where I'm going. And in three months, I've got this baby daughter that's going to land in my lap and I've got to know what to do with her and how to take care of her, right? It's a radical transformation. But what scripture tells us is that an encounter with Jesus Christ is so much more. That when God shows up in your life, everything changes. And maybe this past week, he's already begun to do some of that change in you. Maybe as we talked about last week, we realized that, that as you drive through your community, as you meet people at the store, you meet people in the ball field, you have encounters with people, you realize that one out of every two of them has no relationship with Jesus. And you realize that's not okay. Something's got to change. Maybe the way that you look at your community or your neighborhood, you see racism, you see poverty, you see children in broken families, you see injustice, you see our handwriting of our spiritual enemy all over our community, and you realize that's not okay. Something has got to change. Maybe for you, you've had an intimate encounter with Jesus in a time of prayer. You know, what strikes me is that there's another time in Scripture where everything begins to shake. It's actually in, in the early church in Acts chapter uh, 4 and 5 where the church is praying. And after they get done praying, guess what? The whole place shakes and Jesus sends them out to preach the word of God boldly. And maybe for you, you've had an intimate encounter with Jesus through the life of prayer. If you've been in first church for any period of time, you've recognized that prayer is the fuel for everything that we do. There is no mission. There is no vision if it is not centered on a life of prayer. And our prayer has been that God would raise up prayer warriors all over this church. That God would send people on a Tuesday night or a Sunday morning or in a small group or in a discipleship class or wherever you go in your families that you would commit to a life of intimate prayer with God. Because here's the truth, First Church. The level of your intimacy with God is directly reflected in your life of prayer. Are you intimate with God? The easiest way to answer the question is are you intimate with him in a life of prayer. Intimacy with God changes us. Once you've seen a glimpse of God, everything changes. Number two, if you're taking notes, intimacy with God changes us and intimacy with God convicts us. Intimacy with God convicts us. You say, Andrew, yeah, that's not a good thing. Well, wait, and let's look. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah says this. He's got God showing up. The angels are singing. He says, woe is me. He says, I am, say it with me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, we pray desperately for an intimate encounter with Jesus, but when it happened for Isaiah, what did he do? He's like, get me out of here. I'm running away. I, I can't handle this because a holy God can't stand the presence of a sinful people. And he's terrified of this intimate encounter with God. It's not perhaps unlike uh, a couple days ago, our son Lucas, who's three years old, as many of you know, was not behaving his best, uh, which would not surprise many of you. And so we had a heart-to-heart uh, -heart encounter and a come-to-Jesus conversation, and that involved a little bit of discipline in his life. And I won't give you all the details of that discipline, but a part of that discipline was that he needed to go and have a timeout. So he went up to his room and had a timeout, and then I went upstairs and I, I sat down with him and I said, Lucas, do you know why you had a timeout? Do you understand why you were disciplined? And he said, yes, dad, I was disciplined because I disobeyed. I said, yeah, Lucas, that's exactly right. You, you were disciplined because you disobeyed. And he said, but dad, I don't like discipline. I don't think it's a very good thing. 
And, and I said, well, discipline, Lucas, is, it's, it's for you. It's, it's for your good. Discipline is because mommy and daddy are trying to help you. And he thought about it for a minute. And he looked up at me in all seriousness. And he said, well, then please, dad, stop trying to help me. Stop trying to help me. I was like, Lucas, I can't. Sorry, stop trying to help me. That's the reality. So many of us, when we think about an intimate encounter with God, we, we want to keep God at arm's length. God wants to help us. God wants to redeem us. God wants to save us. But we say, no, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want to have an encounter like that. But if that's you this morning and you find yourself in Isaiah's shoes and you're terrified of an intimate encounter with God, I want you to hear this. Rather than destroy Isaiah, God delivers him. Rather than rejecting Isaiah, God redeems him. Rather than turning his back on Isaiah, rather than forgetting him, ignoring him, saying how disappointed he was in him, God forgives Isaiah. God redeems Isaiah, and God draws him close into an intimate encounter with him. There may be some of you here today, you say, I can't handle an intimate encounter with Jesus because I know I'm not right with him. That's exactly why Jesus came, because he desires an intimate relationship with you. How does an intimate encounter with God change us? Number one, it changes us. Number two, it convicts us. And then number three, if you're taking notes, it does this. An intimate encounter with God consumes us. It consumes us. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 uh, read it with me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, say it out loud with me, say it in your best, in your best God voice. Whom shall I send? That's pretty good, guys. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, say it in your best prophet voice, here am I, send me. God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, pick me, pick me. You say, why? Just a minute ago, he was running from God. Just a minute ago, he was terrified of God. But now Isaiah says, pick me. Why? Because he's had an intimate experience with Jesus, and his life can never be the same. He, he says, I'm ruined. He says, I've been changed. I've been transformed. I am consumed by this mission of God, and I can't go back, so I might as well go forward. Here am I, God. Send me. Maybe some of you have had uh, an experience like this. Uh, maybe you've been on a missions trip and, and, and God's opened your eyes to how some people in the rest of the world live. And, and you realize, you said to yourself, I had no idea people lived that way. I had no idea the poverty, the struggle, the difficulty. Now I've seen it and now I can never be the same. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's, it's investing in your community God's called you to adopt a child or to foster a child or to work at a nursing home or volunteer at a hospital and you've spent time with the last and the least and the lost among us and you said, even in my community, I had no idea, I had no idea and your eyes were opened and you can never be the same. Intimacy with God, it changes you. Intimacy with God, it convicts you. Intimacy with God consumes you. And that's the prayer of my heart for First Church in these days, is that you would have such a consuming, intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit, that your life can never be the same. Here's why, if you don't get anything else, this is really what it boils down to, write this down. If we have intimacy with God, nothing else matters. But if we don't have intimacy with God, guess what? nothing else matters. If we have an intimate encounter with God, nothing else matters. But if you don't have an intimate encounter with Jesus, nothing else matters. You know, of all the ways that our pastor, Pastor Heck, has left an impact on my life, it's probably this image that sticks out most clearly to me. And it's the one that I will carry with me every waking day of my life. Uh, you remember the imagery that he would often share. He would talk about this idea of, 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 of the ladder, right? And he would say, many a man, many a woman, spends their entire life climbing to the top of the ladder, only to discover that it was leaned up against 
the wrong wall. He said, as you're climbing the ladder, make sure you're climbing up the right wall. The question then this morning is simple. Which ladder are you climbing? Which ladder are you climbing? Are you climbing the ladder of success? Are you climbing the ladder of wealth? Are you climbing the ladder of power, of popularity, of control, of comfort, of security? Or are you climbing up the ladder that leads to an intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit of God? Because the truth is, First Church, if you have an intimate encounter with Jesus, nothing else matters. But if you don't have intimacy with Jesus, nothing else matters. Proverbs tell us where there is no vision, the people perish. God has given us a vision. He's told us to go, to live out his story in our community. The only way we can be in to together today is if we begin with an intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus, we come before you today so grateful for your presence, <laughs> grateful for an opportunity today to be in your presence and to honor the life and the legacy of our pastor. Come and have your way amongst us today, Lord. Speak to us as we seek your heart. As we continue to pray, heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe that the Spirit of Jesus is speaking clearly to so many of us here this morning. His question to you is simple. He's having an intimate conversation with you right now. And the question is simple, and it is this. Which ladder are you climbing? And it's Jesus, so you can't give him the church answer. You can't give him the easy answer. He knows your heart. He knows the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you invest your energy. He knows what's most meaningful to you. And if it was just you and Jesus sitting alone in a room and he asked you the question and he said, which ladder are you climbing up? Is it intimacy with me or is it a desperate seeking after what this world has to offer? There's some of you this morning that would say, you know what? If I had to be honest, it's probably not intimacy with God. I love God. I do want a relationship with Him. I, I do read the Word when I can. I spend time in prayer when I can. But if I had to be honest, I'm not desperately seeking after an intimate relationship with God. And your prayer this morning is simple. Jesus, I want to climb up the right ladder. <laughs> Jesus, I want to climb up the right ladder. Jesus, I want closeness to you, a closer walk with you, a more intimacy with you a closer relationship in everything that I do, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I want more of you. If that's your prayer today, would you just slip up your hand right now? Say, Jesus, more of you and less of the world. Hands up everywhere. More of you. I just want intimacy. I love Jesus. I do. I just want more. I just want more. Hands up everywhere. I just want more. I want to climb up the right ladder, Jesus. I just want more. I don't want to get to the end of my life believing and realizing that I've spent my entire life searching after the wrong things, investing my time in the wrong things. I just want more of you. Jesus, thank you so much. You've seen our hands. But Lord, you know the desperate cry of our hearts for an intimate encounter with you. If we have intimacy with you, nothing else matters. You'll take care of the rest. You tell us, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added as well. But if we don't have a relationship with you, then nothing else matters. So draw us closer to you every day, every moment. May we have more of your heart. As we continue to pray, heads bowed and eyes closed, there are others of you here today that you're a lot like the prophet Isaiah. You want an intimate encounter with Jesus, but the fact of the matter is you're, you're kind of terrified. You're terrified because you, you, you don't know what it is that, that, that Jesus might do. You know that you're not living life the way that you should. You know that there's sin. You know that there's some unholiness. You know that God knows your heart, but you're running desperately to get away from him. You know that you don't deserve intimacy with God. And here's the truth. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. You haven't earned it, and neither have I. In fact, what Scripture says is that all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So 
all of us deserve to die. But here's the really good news today. You don't have to because Jesus already paid the price. Jesus already paid the price for your sins. He already died on the cross for you. He came and he lived a sinless life, born of the virgin, a perfect life, and he died and he paid the price for your sins. Why? So that he who knew no sin might become the perfect sin offering for you. And today he welcomes you into his presence. He welcomes you into an intimate encounter with him. All you have to say is, Jesus, that's what I need. (laughs) I need you. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need a savior. (laughs) I don't want to run anymore because I know that you love me. You forgive me. You gave your life for me. And I desire to give my life back to you. First Church, if that's your prayer today, if you lift up your hands high right now, say right now, praise be to God, right now, right over here, sister, right here, brother, praise be to God. Thank you, sister. Praise be to God. Anyone else? Yes, brother, down here. Thanks be to God. Thank you, brother, down here. Who else? Who else? Jesus, I give you my life. It's the best exchange ever offered, that he would take your sinfulness, he would take your brokenness and your woundedness, and in return, he would give you his love his joy, and his intimacy. Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus. If you're new with us here at First Church, uh, nobody prays alone. We all pray together, and we ask God to join us as new souls come into the kingdom. If you would, pray after me. Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, you died so I could be forgiven. You rose so I could be set free. I need you. I want intimacy. I want Jesus. From this day forward, I'm never turning back. Jesus, I love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. First Church, can you thank God for new lives, new hearts in the kingdom of God today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Well, in just a moment, we have the opportunity of of hearing uh, from our friend, our loved one, our pastor's wife, Mrs. Kathy Heck. Uh, Probably of everyone in this congregation, uh, Kathy needs no introduction. (laughs) Everyone knows her. There's not a single person here today who either directly or indirectly, her life has not been touched by Kathy's ministry. If you're new to our church over the course of this last year, you you may say, well, I never had the chance to meet uh, Pastor Heck. Um, And for that, we're deeply sorry because we believe that everyone who had the chance to encounter him is better for it. But we also believe this, is that when you meet one of us, you also get part of him, that we carry his life, we carry his legacy, we carry his passion, and we carry his hope in each and every one of us. You know, not many pastors actually have the honor of being able to call their predecessor their pastor, and it's one of the greatest honors and joys of my life to have known Pastor Heck as a friend, as a mentor, and as my pastor. It's also a great honor to have Kathy join us in just a few moments. Before she does, um, the worship team and the choir are going to sing one of Pastor Heck's favorite songs. It's called Something Beautiful. I think it was his favorite song because it was so true in his own life that God could take something broken, something torn, and make it into something beautiful. And God continues to do that work even now to this day. After the worship team leads us and the choir leads us, Kathy's going to come forward and share a few words of reflection. Thank you, Kathy, for your obedience today.
Good morning. It's really a privilege to be here and to share a condensed version of what I shared on Labor Day weekend in Cincinnati. I know Pastor Andrew was surprised when he asked me to do this, and I responded with a yes before he thought I had prayed about it. (laughs) But honestly, I was prayed up on it. It would be easy to say, I can't do this, or I'm too afraid. But then the enemy wins. And I've said for this whole year, I'm an ambassador for Christ. So I want to honor him by sharing when given the opportunity. Who better to tell you of the Lord's faithfulness than someone who's seen it up close and personal this year. As many of you know, my husband had the opportunity to share a devotional at the 2016 Nazarene National Softball Tournament. He asked the people there the question, where did you come from? He didn't want to know what city or church or softball team the people in that gymnasium represented, but he wanted them to think about their background He then shared in great detail and probably with more passion than I recall him sharing at any other time his chaotic early life where alcohol, abuse, and anger were very prevalent. But he concluded his remarks with the words of the song that you just heard. He made something beautiful out of my life and he believed that. Several months ago, the pastor from Springdale asked me to share this year, and I said yes after a lot of praying. (laughs) When I went there, I followed up on Ed's thoughts by sharing that anyone who came from that kind of life should have had a lot of baggage that would have been carried into adulthood and particularly into a marriage. I wish I could share more about Ed's life But I do want you to know that his mother left him when he was seven, and she was on her way to husband number five. But Ed was rescued from that life, really, when his mother left. And then his alcoholic grandfather raised him until he was 14. The Lord rescued him again after the death of his grandfather, and he went into a foster home. I hate to even call it that. Because that family, the Langs, are my in-laws. But technically and legally, that is what transacted when Ed needed to make a decision about the next stage of his life. He was willing to go with the Langs so that he could stay in the Quad City, Illinois area, rather than go with an aunt who lived in another state and who really had no desire for Ed to live with her. The Lang family had been taking Ed to the Church of the Nazarene already, and once again, he was rescued as a teenager in a July 4th camp meeting service when he gave his life to the Lord. The Lord completely transformed Ed's life, at least spiritually speaking. And by the time I met him when he was 18, I never saw any rage or bitterness that he said had existed in his earlier life. Ed lived life to the fullest, and I'm so glad that the Lord brought us together, but I'm not making a saint out of him or me. We had a lot of growing up to do after marrying at the age of 20, and I know I can say this with the group that knew us and loved us. We decided divorce was never an option. Murder maybe, but never (laughs) divorce. I often tell young married couples, if we could stay married, you could stay married. There aren't many couples who were more opposite in so many ways than we were. We weren't perfect, but I'm often reminded that every marriage has its seasons, and every season has its challenges and joys, and we did have a healthy marriage for the 41 years we were married. So today I ask you, where did you come from? This time I ask the question, I want to to think of where we have come from in the last year. 
I have to be honest and say that I have come from the most challenging year in my life. Most of you know, most of you in this sanctuary know the journey I've been on since August 5th, 2016, when we received the diagnosis of advanced aggressive prostate cancer, but Ed never really seemed sick. So it was a great shock to my system when he died just a month and a day later. Lots of losses surround me as I live life without him. Someone sent me a chart of losses that you experience as a widow, a term I don't like. And there are about 16 or so listed in the chart, which are true, but the loss was even greater than those listed because I lost my Friday night date guy, my afternoon coffee drinking partner, and my Harley motorcycle riding partner. I lost my title as wife and pastor's wife, and I became a single parent to our daughter. I had envisioned being an empty nester with my husband. This was not the script I had written in my mind. And then almost six months to the day of Ed's death, my 89-year-old mother died after a rather sudden physical decline. I had been her primary caretaker for 22 years, and some of you in this room knew of the somewhat strained relationship that she and Ed had through some of those years. And you might not be surprised at what she expressed on the day of our wedding when I was changing my name from Kathy Welton to Kathy Heck. She said, you could never even say that word, and now it's your name. (laughs) I have to say, God really has a sense of humor to have them together now without me. (laughs) Now, I'm generally a positive, upbeat person, But this spring, I gave myself permission to say I was experiencing a season of loss. And as I looked around at a great church and work community that surrounded me, I saw that I wasn't alone. Many of you were grieving with me because you had lost your pastor and friend, and your grief was real as well. And in a room filled with this many people, I know I'm looking into the eyes of others who have experienced great loss. We are not immune to challenging times in our lives just because we're followers of Christ. That's the nature of life as we know it. I could go on and on about challenges in life, but let me instead go to that idea of hope. I realized early last fall that fear and peace cannot reside in my heart at the same time. But I also know, sorry, that sorrow and joy can. I know that we can ask God any question that goes through our mind or heart during any season of loss that we experience. Some weeks ago during my morning devotional time, I was reading from Psalm 43, 5, and it started with two questions that I give us all permission to ask if you need to ask these questions. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But this is how the verse ends. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. That's the hope I give to all who are experiencing a season of loss right now. He's our savior. He's our rescuer. I don't know how people get through these seasons of life without a personal relationship with the creator of this universe because we don't have to. Everyone can have a personal relationship with the Lord. And even though he provides much more, he absolutely goes with us as we go through a season of loss. And even when we're experiencing a season of loss, it doesn't have to be a losing season. 
many years ago, Ed came through the back door of our house as I was putting the finishing touches on dinner, and our daughter Aaliyah was going through her fussy time. He kind of barked at me, asking, how long has she been acting like that? That just wrecks my whole day. Well, being the supportive, sweet, soft-spoken wife that I was, I barked right back at him and said, well, don't let it wreck your whole day. It's 20 bad minutes. I've actually repeated those words to myself over the many years since that incident happened, and very often this last year. I may have had 20 bad minutes as I had to deal with a person or a situation or this year with something at home that I had never had to do before by myself. The enemy would like me to feel defeated or discouraged, wrecking my whole day, but it's 20 bad minutes. I will not allow the enemy to wreck my whole day. The Lord is with us. He's teaching us patience. He's developing our character. He is allowing us the opportunity to see how he's working things out in our lives in ways we can't even imagine. Scripture says over and over that he is walking with us every step of the way, holding us by his right hand. Maybe you find yourself in a place of chaos, needing to be rescued or transformed. Maybe you've been rescued, but it wasn't really the way you wanted to be rescued. I want to encourage you to allow the Lord to do the work he needs and wants to do in your life. Maybe you have your own story to tell, but you've allowed the enemy to tell you you don't have a voice, as he tried to tell me last fall. Honestly, one of the ways we can defeat the enemy is to tell our story which is really God's story, so that we bring hope to others. If you sense the Lord speaking to you today, and I know many of you already have, please be obedient to whatever his call is on your life. Allow the Lord to make something beautiful out of your life. Kathy and I had a deal at the beginning of the service uh, that she had to cry more than me today, uh, <clears throat> or it was going to be really embarrassing, so I thank you for, for doing that, Kathy. Um, uh, God has been so faithful to this church um, and to you, even in times of greatest loss, and for 16 years, Kathy, you have served this church faithfully as a friend, as a mentor, as a coach, as a teacher, as a leader and as our pastor's wife. And what Simone and I have shared with you often in, in private, I, uh, I'd like to share publicly because I think we're not alone, that you will always be our pastor's wife. Always hold that role in our lives. And the best news of all is God is not done with Kathy yet. Uh, we've actually signed her up for all sorts of work to do. So <laughs> she's really excited. And uh, we believe there's incredible, incredible days ahead uh, through your ministry. Uh, we'd love to present you with some flowers and with a card uh, from the Leadership Council and the staff. Uh, inside the card, Kathy, is a check uh, for the amount of $850 uh, for the purpose of the Motorcycle uh, for Missions uh, Project. And uh, we believe that this would be a great uh, kickstart to whatever else came in during our... It was another uh, faux pas, uh, <laughs> uh, that will uh, uh, come in through the offering and through the silent auction today. Uh, we believe that God is going to raise up many motorcycles to be sent out in the name of our pastor and that his legacy will carry on in so many ways. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you.
Pastor Sharon and the worship team are going to come lead us in a song as we close called Every Praise. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of darkness and trial, we believe that we can return every praise to our God and Father, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join them as we sing?